Join Andrew Wall, Hector Garcia, and Michael Lee. One mission, one rule. Make accounting fun. Welcome to Friday Night Live with Accountants. Are you ready? Happy Friday, everybody. Uh, we got a, a special guest with us tonight. I think uh, most people have met or have heard of uh, Guy. I, I met Guy for the first time about four or five years ago at a Thrive event. Uh, and he is, we're lucky to have him. He has done some pretty incredible things. He's had his own practice that he built to be a tremendous success. Went on to found and build uh, Practice Ignition, which is an incredible uh, success story. And uh, I'm thrilled about a lot of the announcements that you guys have to share. I'm not going to spoil all those. Um, but one of my favorites is that you guys open up an office here in Toronto. So I'm loving that. Uh, Mike, uh, do you want to, do you want to share a little bit about your experiences with PI? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy. Um, I'm glad Guy Pearson here's on, on the, on the show. I have never met Guy. I've never had the privilege of interacting with Guy, but I'm a big fan, obviously of practice ignition, the uh, company and the product that, uh, Guy co-founded and a CEO of, and now is a global organization. Um, and so really happy to meet the, uh, the founder creator of this product that I, I so loved dear for my firm reconciled. We're definitely PI loyalists. And, um, and I always tell people that if I wasn't running a firm, if my firm went to kaputs, if I uh, sold it off and nothing else to do, I would definitely, uh, apply for a job at practice ignition <laughs> and, uh, and maybe with all the money they've raised, they could afford to hire me. So, uh, I think that's, that, that's, uh, really exciting. Um, so yeah, Guy, um, thank you for, for coming on and, and we're, we're glad to have you on the show. Uh, no worries, guys. Absolute pleasure to be here. Um, Saturday afternoon over here in, in Sydney where I'm based right now. Um, I thought there was beers involved, so I got myself a local craft beer to enjoy whilst we talk through accounting and tech. I'm super excited. Awesome. That's, that's great. That's great. So, so um, Guy, you know, one of the, uh, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of updates about practice ignition in, in the past year. Um, so, you know, I, I guess I want to start off with just for the, for the audience who's not familiar with, with practice ignition and how it fits in the cloud accounting space to give us just kind of the brief, you know, uh, one minute overview of what is, uh, what is practice ignition and how do you guys fit in this kind of cloud accounting ecosystem? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the easiest way that I describe it to my mom or a family member who doesn't quite get tech or cloud, um, perhaps is Shopify for services. So if you wrap your head around that, it's a, it's a front end that connects to things like uh, that sit below it, like inventory and, and payments and invoicing or billing. Um, so the way I look at PI and how we fit into the ecosystem, um, we're born out of an accounting firm as, as Andrew alluded to before. Um, I was sick of doing engagement letters and not having it connect to workflow invoicing and payments. Um, therefore we didn't have a source of truth that drove the rest of the firm. Um, begged a few other people to buy it. And the whole idea is that you can use this rich data to better improve how you not only run your firm, but how you can communicate with your clients. Um, but ultimately, you know, what we do and we do really well is if you're doing recurring fixed fee, value-based billing, um, any of those sorts of methodologies, even estimates, um, we've got a great sort of smart contract tool can be accepted anywhere. And we plug into the Zero and QuickBooks ecosystems incredibly well and basically drive how your firm runs. So you spend more time focusing on how to more efficiently deliver services to your clients rather than worry about doing things like getting paid, which seems to be the thing that accountants unsurprisingly notice first. And who would have thought that if you connect a contract to billing and payments, 
and the client signs off on it at the beginning that you wouldn't have accounts receivable as a problem. So that's, uh, we tend to find that accountants notice the numbers in the cash first. Um, and then those who use us for their whole firm tend to notice all the efficiencies and the insights that we drive throughout the firm. Um, we're going now for seven years uh, and we're in, what we have, we have, I think we're up to seven or eight offices. Uh, we have like five subsidiaries. Uh, we just launched into South Africa uh, last week. Um, as Andrew uh, alluded to, we opened, out on, opened up our North American headquarters at the end of last year um, in October. Um, and we've got three offices across North America as well for those locals listening. That's awesome. Guy, can you hear me? I know I jumped in a little late to the party. Yeah. Here. Hey, man. Hey, how are you, Hector? Welcome. Thank, thank you for coming, man. So one thing I want to point out, I don't know if, if uh, you know, mentioned it. Um, I think, um, Mike, are you in San Jose or are you back in Vermont? I'm in, I'm in Vermont now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to say Mike in San Jose, Toronto, Miami. And what part of Australia are you in, guy? I'm in uh, Sydney, Australia. If you've in ever Sydney. been here, uh, Manly Beach. So this is amazing, you know, like you know, how, how we can do this. You know, it would have been awesome if Mike was in, in California, would have made it even cooler. But, but like, we get, I guess we get the point. But I'm saying, you know, like we take these things for granted. This, 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 this thing that we do by, by a press of a button, you know, go live on Facebook, connect. And, and we're all in the same industry and we're all helping each other in strange, direct and indirect ways. I just want to, you know, just want to point out that we shouldn't take for granted how how great this communication medium is. Anyway, Guy, um, I want to talk a little bit about your learnings about our industry by having the exposure to a very specific area of practice. So practice ignition, as you mentioned, I'll summarize it a little bit. It really lives in the client onboarding process, right? On 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 what happens before the client comes in, what happens during the process of the client coming in and what happens what, you know, on the transition from when they go from prospect to client. And from that mom moment forward, PI doesn't really do you know, practice management in itself. I, I don't know if that's in the roadmap, but that's not your niche. Your niche, your focus is, is it's, it's being best in practice at getting the client onboarded. Now, in this process of you improving your application and you getting feedback and you've seen uh, what customers do and what they don't don't do what have been some of the sort of wow things that you learned that you wouldn't even thinking you were going to learn that completely caught you by surprise about accountants and the onboarding process of their customers yeah for sure i think just the the amazing amount of diversity in in how firms onboard their practices like in all honesty uh, some of the things that folks wanted to do. So some people wanted a welcome video. We launched videos like I don't know, two weeks ago um, so that you could actually have a personalized welcome video that you might've recorded uh, if they accept the same day. So it's like, hey, it's Tuesday, welcome aboard. You know, this is how what's going to happen in your onboarding. So stuff like that. Um, and the other thing that blew my mind was a crazy amount of business cases that folks wanted to use for their pricing and engagements and wanting to break all logic of billing engines. And one of the secret sources about PI is we're not meant to be the most sexy, not meant to be the most WYSIWYG. What we're supposed to be is structured data that you can use for all situations. With structured data, you can automate things. Structured data, you can aggregate data and bubble it up. Um, and so I think one of the aha moments was when we launched something top down, coming the other way. We launched the dashboard for the first time and people were just like, oh my God, Everyone knows that running a CPA firm for the majority of their expenses are fixed, right? Like 
you know, very, you know, maybe Buckwild Fourth of July parties or Buckwild holiday parties at the end of the year or, you know, Thanksgiving dinners. I don't know uh, so much in, in your neck of the woods over there, but over here it's big Christmas parties and 30 June parties. Um, without that it, and adding a staff member, everything else is kind of reasonably flat structured or incremental with client growth. So new software subscriptions. Introducing the dashboard, people are like, oh my God, I know that I'm going to be profitable this year or I know where I'm going to grow. Or, I know what services drive my revenue. And it was just like really interesting to watch how people, some people took to that like a duck water and others were like, oh, we've got big problems or it scared them or some people, you know, uh, just, just some of the interactions around how that changed, how they ran their firm. Um, and so some of the aha moments has very much been around um, the care of marketing and brand, um, trying to make sure we can hold that true um, and also um, you know, trying to look at <laughs> the biggest realization for me was that everyone didn't run their firm like mine. So and, yeah, that was hard. <laughs> and Guy, let me ask you uh, another question that, that was really, that's really interesting stuff. And I know that you probably don't farm specific data from your customers because that, you know, that would be strange, right? But I'm sure there's meta, metadata that you guys can manage and it can give you insights because all software companies gather intelligence about customer behavior in the software and they use it to make the product better. I mean, most, most programs have that disclaimer, you know, we might, you know, study how you use the software to make the software better and you can opt out of those things. Have you noticed that customers using PI and this is not, not an infomercial. I just want to really understand, is it truly, does it truly help people price better, get bigger clients, bigger purse bigger engagements like have you noticed that you know i don't know if you get this data but somebody was you know in the first year using pi the average customer comes in at 500 dollars a month second year it goes up like have you actually seen users get better at pricing at getting bigger revenues when they use a software like yours so what we what we've seen is an increased share of wallet per client when they use pi and that's probably boiled down to the fact that they've gone okay um, which of our clients don't have bookkeeping? Like as simple as that, if it's a full service firm and going, well, why don't we offer it to those clients? Like just, you know, really dumbed down, you know, simple business stuff, but historically they've been using Word documents or PDFs and trying to aggregate that up into a system where they can go, these clients do and don't from a partner level, perhaps. Um, they, don't, they don't see that or read that. Um, that's probably the biggest thing that we've noticed. Um, and the second one is just generally the rate of revenue and growth tends to be a lot higher than the industry benchmarks we see when people use PI. So the only other thing, uh, we did a study with Xero in Australia around um, firms that use applications with their clients versus firms that don't. And the increase in revenue, the average fee per client per month was so much higher when you had applications in the mix and the likelihood of advisory was also a hell of a lot higher. And the correlation kind of makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Um, but they have access to more data. Their clients wanting them to have access to more data and they're talking about what drives their business as well as the outcome being, you know, profit and loss and or tax, right? So bigger picture, more help can be given, higher revenue is generated. Right. I mean, it's it's obviously that, you know, we've talked about before that we live in this bubble because we're all surrounded by these amazing accounting firms who get the new model. Um, and obviously this cohort is a group that's able to generate more revenue because they're getting it, they're leveraging the technology like PI. And one of the things that I think, you know, I was so impressed when I met you four or five years ago was the amount of um, 
you know, industry knowledge that you brought to a tech product, right? You weren't just an IT guy building an app for accountants. You were an accountant building an app for accountants and you really had, you know, meaningful insights. I remember having deep conversations with you about how to run and manage your practice and things that you'd done in your own practice that obviously you brought into the app as like foundation for building that, that app. Now you've grown a lot over those four or five years um, since we first met. And I wonder, yeah, how involved you still are in the direction of the actual technology and how, how you keep it still accounting focused as opposed to, you know, a tech focused company. Sure. Um, so Dane's my co-founder. Uh, he's head of product prior to practice edition. He was one of the foundational members at deputy.com, which is time and attendance software. Dane in his view on the world loves solving business problems. And so although he's techie, he's more like design thinking, how do we solve these problems? He's run a services business himself and agency. So, you know, he kind of, you know, not saying it's the same as accounting necessarily, but a lot of the same kind of quote to work, scope creep, timesheets, you know, like it's very similar in terms of how it runs. Um, and so he and I always talk about big things. Um, and then we use a lot of bottom-up feedback from customers. So things like the video coming out or what else, but really something else at the end of last year um, and even brochures and things like that. Very much trying to go, well, we think coming the other way that firms want this and then we're listening here. And so the guys are working on something at the moment, which hopefully will be in beta and out of market in the second quarter of this year, which should solve uh, the reasons why you can't use PR with all your customers uh, from, a, from a pricing billing perspective, um, which is awesome. Um, and then we've got some stuff sort of behind the works around, well, what do we do with all the data once we get everyone using it for their whole client base across the board? And, and that's not for us, but more, how do we help you run a better firm? Um, CPAs are so busy doing, doing tax and helping their clients. They very rarely spend time in their own firm. So there's a lot of exciting data that we probably won't see action by us until 2021, but the ability to bring that to help you better price by using your own data set, just to tell you even uh, when you price X at this level, you have a 99.99% acceptance rate. Like, you know, things like that, which might be seem silly, but if you're umming and ahhing, it's like, well, hell, what? I don't need an extra dollar a month. Like if that sways it the other way. Um, so I'm just super excited about that stuff. Um, and Dane and I probably focus more on the strategic elements of what do we do first? Um, the most amazing thing about PI is because uh, we do sit at that first point um, and that system of engagement, the ability to hang things off. Someone mentioned workflow before. Trying to build workflow, um, in my eyes, as soon as you get into that, people want document management, then they want tax, and then they want, and yeah, it's multidisciplinary, it's different in every country. There's amazing companies solving those problems. So rather than us trying to be another one, we prefer just to partner with those guys and the customer to have choice. Right. Um, and that's kind of how we view the world. That's the key to success for these apps, for apps, I think in general is stay true to your core, right? I've seen it with, you know, I think to me, the, the perfect example of uh, an app going off core would be probably FreshBooks, in my opinion, where they tried to become, like you said, the everything and the anything to accounting. And if they stayed core, stayed true to their core of, you know, receivables, they had an amazing product. And then they came out trying to advertise that they were an accounting application when they weren't, weren't even there yet. So yeah, I'm going to leave Mike and Levi out of this because they're good mates. Um, uh, they're, they're the co-founders of FreshBooks, but I think they built an amazing company. And I think it's one of those things 
where you get to a certain point and you're trying to figure out how do you solve more problems for more customers and and you know they threw the hat in the ring to try and do everything um and there's also timing and execution it's super hard um but they've built an amazing business that helps you know hundreds of thousands of freelancers and microlancers and tiny businesses around the world what, what are you learning guy um now that you're you know not running a uh, accounting practice cloud accounting practice anymore you're running an, an app in this space yep. for 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 those of us entrepreneurs those of us listening going oh i want to i want to make that pivot someday of 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 being a part of the ecosystem serving it and not necessarily in the ecosystem running a firm what differences do you see as it yourself um as an entrepreneur as a business leader you know what what are the differences between between the two that you're that you're you figured out over the past seven years so and we talk about the business fundamentals so you know we, we trained as bookkeepers accountants tax agents all, all the things depending on what you specialize in um and historically you were almost paid to figure things out in a certain degree and, and then the cash revenue cycle was was reasonably short so you could you could make it long if you wanted to like you could not send out a, a bill and not get paid or not have a signed engagement with payments on for a plug but ultimately you know there was a reasonably quick turnaround with product it's almost like building a tesla and, and you know not trying to line us with that company um well they've done great but effectively it's like we have to think about what we're going to deliver uh scope it then have product design it then have engineering build it then figure out how we're going to launch it how do we get and then get feedback along the way and so the you know and then try and convince people to use the product even though perhaps we we don't quite have exactly everything they need um and so i think the thing that shocked me the most was that i always viewed software that if it solves 80 percent of my problem um it's saving me hours therefore it's not an expense it's an investment and who cares i can go speak to more clients and get more work and and firms who are sort of slowly taking up cloud sometimes struggle with that notion because they do everything manually right now and that works um so that change is, is super hard um, and i think that was the thing that surprised me the most was just you've got people who focus on opportunity cost all day uh, with their clients and and you know advise their clients if it, you know well you can save money by employing someone or doing this you should definitely do it so you can focus on growing your business yet let's do as i say not as i do um, and that was one of the hardest things um, and ultimately, accountants are conservative. You know, we're asking them as a platform to trust us with contracts, revenue management, payments, workflow deployment. Like we are a core bit of software. And the folks that roll us out are like, oh my God, why didn't I do this you know, years ago? Like even back then, it would have solved so much, so many problems, saved me so much money, it generated me more money. But that whole change and the shift and the cycle is just that mindset of being ready and able to take that change and being able to appoint a champion of change internally. Um, and so I guess the, the big shift is trying to have that level of empathy. And once again, um, it was really hard for me to sell software for practice initially in the early days because I'd have people tell me I didn't know what it was like to run an accounting firm. I would have people who um, would go, I have no idea what I'm, they, I have no idea what they're doing day to day. I don't know what it's like to have clients calling you, like all these things. And I'm just sitting there going, okay, um, firms built that way don't work. You know, mm -hmm. like, and so trying to, pull yourself out of the equation, uh, being able to remove myself from that, the ability to have empathy for people going through change. Um, when I'm not hearing it directly, when I hear it on aggregate with segmented and obviously we have a much larger team now, people working can do solution selling. Like when, when you're trying to scrap and, you know, getting to our first hundred customers was so hard, mm. um, you know, and that's not even a lot of revenue. I, can't, I don't even think we were $100 a month back in the day. I'm pretty sure we were like 30. 
So even at a hundred customers, right? That's three grand. That's $36,000 a year. Like wow. how hard, like you have to work really hard to make 36 grand a year and have been losing money every month and employ people. Wow. Right. So that risk profile doesn't quite <laughs> so well for a CPA. So, I mean, I'm a bit more risky, risk taking, I guess I'm more uh, akin to it the most, but yeah, that, that whole mindset change uh, and mind shift was super hard. And then once again, like trying to have that empathy whilst that's happening. Yeah, that, that probably is a great barrier to entry. It's a big barrier entry for a lot of accountants, actual accountants who aren't used to that risk tolerance, that risk profile of, you know, uh, there isn't going to be a me- immediate uh, profitability for your startup in the first two, three, four years, especially if you're trying to go big or go home you may not see profitability for a long time because uh, your your mindset is growth. Your mindset is this an exit event for your investors. or um, And and like well, you said- it, You want to solve the problem so. for the biggest audience yes. problem, uh, possible, right? So right. like there's no, there's an element of that safety net of profitability and cash flow. Even we hit that before we raised our last round. Um, but, you know, you kind of have to have that notion. It's always, doesn't matter what you put in a forecast. doesn't matter how many accountants right. you know. Like I, Andrew will attest to the fact that I knew, I'm going to say a shitload, but a lot of accountants back in the day. And even that didn't really help because the product wasn't what they needed um, mm. at the time to solve the biggest problems. And so- Persevere um, Sorry, man? How do you persevere through that? Oh, uh, the beautiful thing about the early days is that the growth curve does look exponential, whether it's users, customers, revenue or anything. And so um, there's that element, but also when you do meet a firm or you get hugs, like literally I got more hugs from folks like uh, one particular lady um, in Australia uh, every year had to have a line of credit because between December and January. So our, our Christmas period, our holiday period is very much like if you put Thanksgiving, Halloween, 4th of July, Christmas, all the American holidays and summer seasons all in, all in one, that's it. And so no one really pays bills uh, in B2B services land. And so the fact that the client was on a retainer meant for the first time in years, this lady could afford to buy her siblings Christmas presents, her kids presents, all the rest of it because she didn't have to worry about cash flow. Um, and so I just got like a huge hug. I was like, your product saved my business, saved my life. I'm no longer stressed over Christmas. Thank you so much. Um, and it's stuff like that, that you're like, okay, you know, this is worth persevering with, uh, you know, in addition to the data, like that thank you piece or the fact that you are making a difference in not only firms, but how they serve their clients is huge. Um, but yeah, always, always. So for those who want to step into the app game uh, and you can ask almost anyone that's ever done it, it'll take, uh, twice as long as you think, and it will cost three times as much. Um, and I knew a little bit about tech. Um, I've been an app in the cloud integrator before that was a term back in the day. I'd done information systems in university. My best mates worked at Atlassian and had done prior startups with them just to sort of test things out and how it works. And just the sheer amount of things that you have to consider. Um, it's not like, uh, so building an iPhone app, for a game is a lot simpler because you don't have to write users, permissions, security, billing, or anything else. You just build the thing, right? And there's a framework. When you're building a software solution from scratch, you have to worry about all of that. Plus what does the thing do? Plus how is it backed up? How's it stored security, marketing? Like it's just a million different hats. Um, so it's been an incredible learning experience. I wouldn't change it for the world, but you know, it's something that needs to be done wholeheartedly as well. Um, you can start off the MVP, uh, the minimum viable product and the research as a side hustle and put money into it. Um, but 
and that's all great. But to launch the business, you kind of need uh, product and engineering full in, all in. It could be one person perhaps, and you all in on the business development and business management side. And then at some point you need to be able to go, okay, we really need to spend money on the things that we're not good at, whatever those are. Uh, to sort of build up the first early stages of the company. Um, so once again, hiring someone to do sales uh, was one of the biggest things. I had someone do that and customer success while I was doing uh, marketing, partnerships, operations, working in product, all that stuff. And we had a team of four. Um, so yeah, uh, be prepared for a long journey. Um, uh, but if you can make it, it's incredibly rewarding uh, in terms of just the people you meet and, and you know, if you're solving a problem that's big enough, just the, the thanks and the the just gratitude, it just makes it feel like it was all worthwhile. Worthwhile. Thank you, Guy. I love the big picture. I love the journey that you guys have taken. And I think you've given us great insights to think about. I'm not in the software business, but I know Mike is. And I think he's taking all this advice really to heart. So thank you for the free consulting. I think uh, I, I, I'm saying that in behalf of my friend, Mike. Let me ask you a specific question, Guy. You know, you were talking about MVP and the engineering process and product improvement you said it's been seven years i'm sure what your software looks like today is very different of what it looked like seven years ago and I'm, when you first started you had a roadmap i assume and you're like these are all the features that we want and there there must be a number of features that you guys wanted to add because you thought about it and a whole slew of features that were really heavily requested by customers and without the customer feedback, you would not have been able to take it from MVP to what it is now. So could you recall, I'm not sure if you're so much in the product development side, but could you recall what have been some of the most memorable features that you've added to the software based specifically on customer feedback? 100%, our, our first version of the software um, was incredibly MVP-like. And it was so rigid. So once again, uh, practice initiative is supposed to be structured data so that you can do stuff with it, right? Um, so aggregate it, but also drive workflow invoicing payments. Um, two things uh, stand out. Number one was the first thing when we launched the product, everyone just wanted flexibility. Um, so you used to have to price a service rigidly in the services menu. So in practice mission, create a library of services, product uh, service has a description, has a, has a name, um, you can you could integrate zero uh, only back then. You could integrate workflow max or workflow deployment. So we sort of launched with those two being requirements. Um, but the price was actually set inside that menu. So when you got to the engagement, you couldn't have a client specific price for anything. It was all service driven. So that was you know as you can imagine that that was not acceptable by by many people. Um, and so one of the first things we did was obviously make that a variable at least at the uh, the engagement level per service type. Um, and the alarm was obviously billing. So once again, when the service was created, it was fixed in terms of billing. So it could only be recurring or it could only be one-off or it could only be upfront or only prorated. So like all those things um, uh, had to be changed, obviously, as, as we got bigger and we wanted to allow for more use cases. Um, the second thing, uh, trying to think of the, the other one, obviously payments was probably one of those things that no one knew that they always wanted. So people, a few people have mentioned it, but it was more like our early core users. And when we launched payments into the product, I think in 2015 and odds, um, it kind of blew everybody away. They're like, hang on a sec, what? Like, I don't need all these other things now. Um, and then the third one, if I can add that, was just integrations, obviously. Like, you used to have to have 
zero suite of products. MVP, you got to choose, right? You're like, we can build a standalone app or we can build something that gets you there, but you have to have these certain things. Um, and I'm sure the case is true for many where they've launched connected to QuickBooks and then they've pulled out and then there's a standalone app and you can integrate whatever you want just in the same way. So we had zero practice manager and zero were required. Ultimately limited our um, target customer base in the very, very beginning that allowed us to get the feedback from the firms that were definitely pushing into the cloud um, in terms of what they wanted. And so those are probably the three things um, that were definitely user-driven. It didn't mean we didn't want to do it. And as you alluded to, there are so many things on our roadmap today, but there's still some that are hanging from uh, back then. Uh, literally, we, we're trying to solve that, that first pain point correctly so that we can add those other things on top. That's great. And let me ask you another question, uh, yep. Guy. Um, and, I think, and Mike and I were in the same room when this happened. So we were at the council and another pro advisor told an Intuit executive the way they were using QuickBooks self-employed. Uh, I don't know, Mike, if you remember where Marriott said, you know, I have my customers in QuickBooks online, but I still use self-employed just so I can plug in the number and do tax planning. So it tells us what, the, and then everybody in Intuit looked at each other like, like it's like a happy accident, you know, like, like in a really insightful misuse of, of the software. Have you had any moments like that where people are using the software not as intended and they're telling you, no, I, I press this button to do this. And you're like, that's not what the button's for. But then you yeah. were pleasantly surprised that people interpret a different way. Do you have any examples like that? Yeah, uh, the biggest one that we didn't intend, um, uh, accountants and CPAs, bookkeepers, pro advisors all have this big problem where uh, historically they've done sort of time cost billing and have this massive accounts receivable historical billing. Um, and although there's, there's solutions for fee funding, there's solutions for collections, there's not really an easy solution for collecting the payments on a plan um, per se. Um, and it's definitely something we, we're sort of scoping out for the future. But we have a bunch of firms that when they start with this, the first thing they do is they go in and this is incorrect from an accounting standpoint. So don't judge them or me, or, or this is why I'm like, why would you do that with the product? They will go and get their clients outstanding balance and then go, right, we're gonna put it as a 12 monthly repayment plan and bundle it into your next engagement. So technically I agree, uh, incorrect what they might do is solo that engagement. So it's last year's payment plan with no invoicing connected, just so the payments come in and then and no workflow deployed. And then on the other engagements, it's like here moving on and then workflow and invoicing connected. Um, and so obviously uh, we didn't design the product to collect outstanding revenue, uh, but it's, it's worked. Like people have reeled in millions of, of you know well, aggregate but like most firms when they join us might have three to four months of their annual revenue sitting in accounts suitable and so if we can help solve that um even if it's not as designed uh that's great um but ultimately um you know we want to be able to solve that uh or work with partners to solve them in the future so it's, it's a lot smoother um and and get you up and running faster and, and obviously get you get you paid for work that you've done i mean your average days for a cpa to get paid or a pro advisor i think is 90 You've already paid your staff like up front, right? So that's 90 days from billing, let alone what you actually, when you were paying your weekly wages or monthly wages or whatever it was. So 
we tend to find there's like a 180 day cash flow cycle for a lot of work that gets done around the world. And it's just like, wow, how does anyone run that business? And that's why banks is recurring. That's why they give you overdrafts and other things. Cause they're like, well, we know the money's going to come in, mm. um, but you can pay 6%, 10%, whatever the, the interest rate is in the meantime to fund it. So we want to try and solve that over time. I think I have a, one last question in the same oh. area. So does PI now offer the ability for you to give someone three proposals and then to choose one of the, one of the three? Is that something that is functional in PI already? Something presentationally at a proposal level we're working on for the middle of the year. So I think it's roughly about June. Um, but historically, you've been able to go, depends on how you view it in the sales process. So for myself, running my accounting firm, it's like, why would you do that at the point you want someone to sign something? I'm an entrepreneur. If you give me three options at the point I'm coming to you for advice, if you tell me you don't know which one I want, um, I'm like, well, I'm going to go see someone else who knows what I should have. So that being rude, my, my view is that that sits one layer above in the sales process. So you're having a, your first sales meeting is you know, bronze, silver, gold, small, medium, large. Here are the three things and here are the options. So we've had something called a web connector for since 2014. Um, basically, you can plug it into your website. You can have as an independent web page launches, but you can literally step through pricing with your clients and have been able to do for the last six years. Um, so that then generates a draft proposal. Uh, you can then review it, send it out to your client, they can accept it. The whole idea being that pricing should happen before you get to a contract. Like I'm not sure you've ever bought a house with three options on it. You've probably never bought a Mac where you've actually gone to pay and they're like, well, hang on a sec. Um, before you decide that you know, online, it's like, no, you made that choice and then there were options and then you paid. That's the contract part. So you think about us in terms of there, like the sales process and the three options and those liberals tend to happen before you send a contract to anybody. Um, so we tried to make that available. Um, people use that in meetings and everything else. You can make it designed. It can live on an embedded secret page on your website so you don't have to advertise it. Um, and you can customize the design layout and features and it literally works like a checkout. Um, uh, so that's how a lot of folks um, have done the three options. And that's how I think it should be done. Uh, but we are gonna allow for the presentation of three options with optional services and things in due course, it's just really, really hard to build because we have to drive what happens next. So if you want workflow connected, like what are we, we need to make sure all of those things have workflows that or whatever's happening next can be driven. Once again, structured data. If it was WYSIWYG, like just three things and all they're doing is hitting accept and then signing a contract and nothing happens next, it'd be super easy. We would have done it years ago. Um, but because we're interested in you running your whole firm, collecting revenue every month, driving workflow every month, quarter, whatever's built around those three options, um, we don't want you to spend an hour creating three proposals to send to your client, for them to choose one, for you have to cancel the others and, and then figure out what happens next. So we're very much trying to figure out the smart way to solve it um, so that it can be something that is scalable, easy to use, um, the metrics are recorded correctly and all the rest of it. Um, and that's more of a, customer up driven and it's more so because of what people have been spoken about or, or told about by people who haven't run accounting firms. Um, so um, I'm not trying to start a fight, but yeah, uh, the firms who grow quickly tend to give their clients maybe two options with and without bookkeeping or small or medium or, you know, it's like that stuff, not per service pricing because the, the biggest thing we wanted to achieve and one of the foundational elements behind practice initial was I wanted my team and interactive, regardless of who, to be able to deal with scope creep. They're asking for this, cool, that's $500 a month. Yes, no, 
bang, increased revenue. I wanted everyone to be able to accept it. I wanted my mum to be able to explain, once again, the price of my services for the accounting firm to someone she's met that's a perfect client for us. I don't want it to be a, a scientific or not. Sorry, I want it to be scientific, not artistic. Because um, with science comes scale, you know, everything you've ever looked at on a website for anything that's a massive company that is widely recognized as one of the most profitable in the world is typically not variable pricing. You know, I could talk to you about this stuff, Guy, all night long. <laughs> <laughs> and it is, and I, I got to tell you, the only reason I'm actually here tonight is because I wanted to, to talk with you again to, to hear about what you, what's been going on because there's so many amazing things going on with PI right now. Um, but I do have a flight. I've literally got to get up in three hours. I'm taking uh, my, my two kids down south. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bounce out, I think. But I just wanted to say, Guy, thanks for, for joining us. And congratulations again for the new random financing, the new offices. Uh, I think what you guys did, I did want to make a special mention that um, the, the top 50 women in accounting, I think that that's such an amazing thing for you guys to be doing. Uh, you know, one of the things I've been talking about lately is um, something that I'm learning more about is is the lack of representation in in some of the top uh influencers um in uh diversity not just uh women as well obviously uh but race and ethnicity and i love seeing that you guys taking a stand and and trying to to pay attention to the women who are uh, making a big difference in our industry and there's a lot of amazing women uh, and you've mentioned uh, just 50 of them there's there's even more than that but obviously you got to cap that list somewhere um, yeah. So kudos to all the great success and uh, I'll be uh, trying to watch the rest of this tomorrow morning as I'm waiting for my plane. So, so I apologize for not being able to stick around and, and Mike and Hector, I'm sure uh, you can continue the conversation with me and, and Guy, uh, hopefully I'll, we'll catch up again soon, uh, maybe at another QB Connect or uh, something similar. Sounds great, mate. Look forward to it. Uh, watch out for Pearson Airport. Um, don't let that last name fool you. It can be a little bit scary at times and those customs lines can go on forever. So make sure you get in there early enough Yeah, and yeah. try and get some sleep. <laughs> we'll get at least an hour or two. <laughs> Perfect. See you, mate. See you, Andrew. Have fun, Andrew. Well, well guys, this is a great segue. You, you, you've kind of shared a lot. What, um, the, so the top 50 women in accounting, why don't you um, explain it a little bit for those watching and also um, what inspired PI um, to kind of make this list? What was the inspiration around it and what's kind of your goals with it? Sure. Um, so just explaining it, uh, basically you nominate uh, someone in accounting, a female, uh, I should say orientation, because I feel like there's, there's male, female, and you can choose not to disclose these days as well, right? So trying to try and recognize uh, one particular segment um, of the market uh, who drive amazing changes in organizations and don't get recognized for it as much um, and it's very much almost like a performance-based thing. So we don't look at necessarily who posts the most social things or who drives the highest revenue It's have you had an impact in uh, the world of accounting. Um, and some of the entrants uh, blow my mind in terms of the things that they've done from running on the side whilst running a firm, running education courses for homeless women on how books and accounting work and taxes, like just like, blows your mind in terms of the effort people have gone to, particularly women uh, helping other women, but women helping everybody around the world. Um, and so that's really what it's about. And that's what we try to recognize. Uh, it's not a popularity contest. Like I'm very, very against anything that, you know, someone says politically, I should be here. I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. I mean, it's the upside of being the CEO of the company. Um, I've, I've been lucky enough to been asked to be involved in, in many sort of 
women in accounting awards around the world or women in finance and, and be judge. Uh, it feels really weird, but to be a judge of those things, it's we kind of title. Um, and the reason why it was kicked off, um, my whole career uh, was pretty much uh, mentored by women in accounting. So I worked for firms and typically my senior, my manager, my trainee, head of HR on board the grads or the cadets when I was very young, all these women who had a massively influential impact on my life. Um, and the fact that there is a, a glass ceiling kind of just pissed me off. Um, and, you know, trying to help raise, uh, I guess, the, the women who are often too humble to lean in. So I'm a big Sheryl Sandberg fan. I don't agree with everything she does, but that whole notion of realizing that you've got guys who will put their hand up and pitch themselves into a role, left, right, and center. And then you've got women who are probably better qualified, can do the job better, who are often self-doubting. And I wanted to try and shift that from their side, which is why it's a nomination thing uh, where you can nominate anyone as opposed to um, you nominate yourself. So I've had two business partners in my career as well, running businesses. So Lisa Callaghan, uh, who is the first uh, partner at Interactive Accounting, my firm, who's off doing amazing other things these days. Uh, she was awesome, right? And it's like, all right, well, there's one. Uh, Charlotte, who's the current general manager of Interactive Accounting, is an amazing woman who can do amazing things and great rapport with clients, tech, understand it all. And then in my in practice initiative, we have, I think, an all-female finance team currently. Um, wasn't necessarily by design. It just kind of happened that way. But um, Ros Lou, um, who got named as one of the top uh, women in accounting by the CA, which is like the CPA here, um, who helped us raise two rounds. We've got Rachel White now as interim CFO, is a friend of mine for the last decade. She's done uh, umpteen IPOs, trade sales, raises, everything else. And it's sort of like, I want to, both of those women would not put their own name forward. Right. And it's like, all right, well, I, I literally, and I think it was last year, um, we were going through nominations and the nominations weren't kind of stacking up as I hoped they would. And I was like, screw this. I know so many women in accounting from <laughs> traveling the world, speaking at conferences. I went through my LinkedIn and I nominated about 300 women individually. <laughs> and I was just like, this woman is awesome because of X, Y, and Z. And yeah, when they actually fill out the form, you get to hear that what you know about them is about this much and, wow. and the rest is amazing. Um, and so, you know, the outcomes for me are very much, uh, you know, how do we help break that glass ceiling? How do we help uh, you know, people, but specifically women in this instance, um, get the confidence that they've actually kicked some butt and, and to have that confidence and take it into the next stage of their lives, careers, and be recognized for it. Um, so it's super, super important for us. Um, you know, like the, I came up with the idea. It was very much like this, this is important for me. This is what's happened in my career. Like I don't want these women not putting their hand up to mm. be nominated and I guarantee they will. So let's do it for them um, and, and make it sort of a peer nomination thing. Um, I don't know if that answers all the question, um, but for me, it's just, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to be mentored by so many great women in my career. I just wanted to pay, you know, pay homage effectively. That's great. That, that, that's really inspiring. Um, and it, both Hector and I kind of relate to that, just being inspired by women in our lives and the women that pour, have poured into our lives to, to help us both be successful as well as that we learn from. Um, Guy, kind of, you know, we're, as we wrap up kind of this time together, what, um, um, I, I got one last question. I know I'm sure, I'm sure Hector has one last question. What, 
who who are you learning from these days? Um, whether it's other app leaders, other firm leaders, books, who are you learning from specifically these days um, that that um, uh, you know those in our ecosystem could also be looking to? So are there certain apps that you're kind of inspired by, leaders of those apps, books you're reading, firm owners that you're learning from? What what what's inspiring you these days, and what are you learning from? So I've had the fortunate pleasure of meeting some of the greatest business minds and spending some time with them over the years. Um, so in the early days, it was entrepreneurs I used to look after as an accountant. Um, and that kind of hasn't changed. Uh, the fortunate position I find myself in is um, we have forced savings, so forced 401k here in Oz. Um, but you can self-manage that. And most accountants have this thing called a self-managed super fund. Um, and through that, um, it's I can't touch it till I'm 65. So but I was able to make direct investments and in things that I liked. And mm. thankfully some of those have gone really well and, and 10% of my wages every year, although I haven't always earned a lot of money, um, go into that. Um, and off the back of that, I've been able to invest in startups, uh, have chats with venture capital uh, and through my time at PI, I have chats with venture capitalists and other businesses around the world. Um, so I tend to learn off other entrepreneurs and, and how people who invest money, not saying they're gurus, but how they view the world. And what they look at is a lot more lead indicators than perhaps someone who's an accounting uh, or an accountant that might see the reactions from their clients 12 months later. And so once again, just trying to get that on that forefront. Um, and I think that is probably the biggest thing. Like being able to understand um, why people have made decisions or a thesis around why something is happening or why it makes sense and being able to have those one-to-ones, coffees, and sort of aggregate all that data personally and kind of then choose, you know, how I see to view the world and what's coming next. Um, in terms of companies I admire, I think Shopify has got to be up there uh, and that's not to, you know, really make the Canadians super proud or anything. But, um, it, you know, amazing company that has redefined how e-commerce works, right? Um, the other one is Intercom. Uh, I got well, I was fortunate enough to know the head of marketing relatively early on. He was an next Atlassian guy. Um, and ultimately seeing what can be done in the world. Uh, the two founders of Atlassian, so Atlassian is an Australian technology company it's listed on the NASDAQ. Uh, Mike and Scott, uh, I got to sit in their offices a lot when I was kicking off my accounting firm. My best mates work there. Um, they have, I'm not sure if you guys saw it on social, but like 18 months ago, Mike, maybe two years, Adelaide, which is uh, Southern Australia, was having blackouts. And so they had a battery, uh, not a power problem, but they couldn't store the power. They didn't have a battery big enough, couldn't deploy it. And so basically energy usage with heat and temperatures. So people are having power shortages, outages, causing all kinds of issues with traffic lights, schools, you name it. Um, and so on Twitter, Mike to Elon was like, hey, um, it's all the new batteries to power the, the, the car factory. Any chance we could get one of those in Adelaide? And he's like, you know, backwards and forwards, like, yeah, you can go look up the conversations. Like, yeah, I think it's like 100 mil. Um, uh, any chance it could be done in 90 days? He's like, if it's not done in 90 days, it's free. And so watching someone who just literally runs a tech company arranging to solve a problem uh, in Oz, and he has backed more green, no meat, carbon emission free, trying to figure out how to suck carbon out of the air, all those sorts of companies in his, in his own name. Uh, trying to figure out how to make a big impact on the world. Um, so wow. I think from the folks that I've been able to meet, so I've met Mike a bunch of times, um, met Scott a bunch of times, but people that I've met, like people are having those kinds of impacts. So I have this mission they're trying to achieve and then like how they're going to help the world. Um, and then last but not least, my one of our investors, a guy called Craig Winkler, uh, 
he's like the most humble behind the scenes guy in the world. He was Zero's second largest shareholder until know, 18 months ago. Um, so very wealthy guy. Um, you know, I'm not going to disclose too much about, about him because he wouldn't appreciate that. But in terms of how he views the world and basically similar to like the Gates folks where it's has managed to accumulate all this capital, has some set aside from the family, but basically everything else is how has he sold the, uh, almost the genesis of core problems in the world. So whether it's in Australia and indigenous or if it's uh, you know, health and AIDS in Africa, like he wants to put money to work um, in, from his gains to basically go and try and help solve some world problems. And that's so great. that sort of stuff is, I know that's not really inspirational learning business lessons, but in terms of learning how to be a better human, it's definitely folks like that that, that help. Oh yeah, that's great. Great. And Hector, you got one last question? Yeah. Uh, so a guy, I want to ask you a, a, a uber complex loaded one last question. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate so, the warning. Yeah, no problem. Hold on, hold this on, is hold how on. Hector rolls. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Take, take a couple more tips. <laughs> yeah, I need so, one more. <laughs> so all, all three of us are in our thirties. Um, I don't, Mike, I don't know, Mike, how, how old you are, but I'm sure you're in your mid thirties too. Yeah. You're, I, I'm in, I'm in the high thirties and guy, I don't know how old you are, but I'm going to guess 35. We'll leave, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Um, as three professionals in our thirties from our own, in our own world, in our own corner of the world, uh, trying to cause impact in the accounting profession. And I think guy, you've had your share of impact and you have tons of years ahead that where you can impact the accounting profession more, Mike, the same, uh, me, the same in our own way. What is our role as a 30 something year old professional in our industry to shape our industry forward. So how do you see us? I'm not talking about where you see the industry going. Where do you see us, the 30-something professionals, early 40 professionals, pushing the profession towards? So if we go back to why we exist and probably why we became accountants, it's all to help out small business owners and and clients have better outcomes and do more good in the world. Um, So... If I think about that, and I think about just the general nature of someone who decides to embark on this profession, um, you know, uh, sometimes we, we question it ourselves, but ultimately it's that drive to help people with finance that they don't understand and help them have better outcomes. So if I take that, the 30-somethings in terms of our responsibility is to do all things in our power to, you know, build a sustainable business ourselves so we can deliver that in the long term um, and make sure we grab tech with both hands and, you know, both eyes open. You can't use absolutely everything. Um, I think picking niches is something I have gone on and on and on about over the years, but I believe in my gut that if you don't have a niche, like how do you help uh, clients with a huge degree of confidence and, and skills when you have one that's in e-commerce, one that's a wholesale manufacturer, and those are pretty recent, you know, reasonably well tied together. But then if you've got a florist, a hairdresser, and every client is different, how do you develop that IP and bring in skill sets and suggest systems and be able to do it without thinking so that you can build up um, you know, a best way of doing things for your clients and really help them. Um, so I'm hoping what the 30 somethings bring is that even if it's two different industry types, I look after it could be wholesale and e-commerce, right? The inventory, the deal in inventory, stock turns, cash flow, gross profit margins, all those things. Um, at least there's a similarity there. I'm hoping that we end up where we have folks who focus on a smaller number of, of industries and go deep um, and help to bring that tech in so that those businesses can run better. 
Um, and then I'm hoping that with our gains that we make from being specialist higher advisory fees and things, we turn around and go, well, there's an NGO or there's a corporate social, uh, what do they call that? Um, wrong, wrong term, but where they do it as a not-for-profit, right? So where they're trying to sell merchandise to raise money for an NGO that does amazing things, as an example, we might be able to turn around and go, right, um, help organize that software vendor, which you already sold 25 subscriptions for, to provide that for free, help roll it out, you know, comp your fees and sit on their board and help them build a better thing to drive a greater outcome. Because I don't know about you guys, I can't build a house. I would love to go to Africa and, and help, you know, clothe the starving, help feed them. I'm not a farmer and, and build shelters. Uh, I can't do that. What I can do is information systems, accounting um, and talk plainly, really. Um, so how do I use those skill sets to, you know, change the world? And so there's the sustainable business helping your clients and then hopefully doing something good with it on the side um, with the same skill set. So you're not pivoting. So, you know, I wouldn't become, I wouldn't put myself to be on the board of a medical disease I've never heard of. I'd be like, well, yeah, shit. What am I, sorry, excuse me, sorry. What am I going to do that helps? Because I can't understand the problem. I understand fundraising, I understand that sort of stuff, but I don't know the ins and outs of this disease. So if I was going to join that board, I would go and learn about the disease make people have it, understand what their problems are, all those things before I would get involved. Um, I might get involved in the business operations of charities. Like how do you centralize and pull, uh, you know, donations? And that's one of my things I would love to do in the future. So dad died of cancer when I was six years old. In six months, six months from now, I will be older than he ever was. So I would love to figure out how you pull, like we have 3,600 cancer charities, I think in Australia, we only have 25 million people. So it's, you know, Big problem there, perhaps. You know, admin fees, boards, accountants, auditors, bookkeepers, you name it, and they'll pay for marketing. So how do you pull that together to go, you know what, I'm Guy, I would like to back the Skin Cancer New South Wales campaign, right? And it has a pool of funds. It can have its own independent board or leadership perhaps, but it goes and does its project. Like I'm more interested in figuring out ways to get more dollars uh, to the end result and hopefully a little bit of change. So sorry, that's a massive rant, um, but... For my mind, my, my investment business or the thing that owns my shares is called utilism, which is short for utilitarianism, which means the greatest good for the greatest number. So, yeah, that's great. It wasn't uh, a rant. It was a great answer. Thank yes. you. I appreciate it. Sorry. Yeah, I realize I really when I look at the time, I'm like, holy crap, I've been speaking for two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, guy, well, we really appreciate that you came on and that um, you took the time to do that. And I know you're a busy guy and, and you're doing a lot of things. Um, we're really inspired by you. We love the product. Thank you again. Thank you for your involvement in the ecosystem and for inspiring all of us kind of with this great talk and I'll, I'll end our time with, um, with our song up, but thanks guy for, for, for coming on again. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm jealous of the fact that I don't have the professional setup. <laughs> Easy fix. Just go to Amazon. Good night, guys. Good night, guys. Good.